Hello, the Digital Journey community, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Journey podcast, where we continue to bring you real experiences from real operators. I know it's been a couple weeks off. Things have gotten a little bit crazy here in the start of the year. Uh, all blessings, all things that we're happy about, but we're happy to sync back up. And as always, I have my co-host, Brandon Schaefer, with me. Brandon, how's everything going today? Oh, man, it's it's going good. We've both been super busy. I'm excited to get back on track. We have some great guests coming up. So I'm not really looking forward to tonight, but I'm also looking forward to the future. So just to keep keep tuning in, keep listening, keep catching up, and I'll come into focus here. I think I'm out of focus, but I will come into focus if you're watching <laughs> on YouTube. So don't worry. Don't worry. I will be back. I know you can hear me crystal clear if we're on the podcast, and uh, but if you're watching on YouTube, I, I will straighten up here shortly. So Awesome. No, and like you said, Brandon, it's great to be back. I think tonight we have, you know, a very different topic. We haven't been able to touch on it too much, but it's one that's certainly starting to get more and more attention um, in the news and, and across the internet. So tonight we're going to dive into the power of the blockchain and the future of financial services. Um, without further ado, I'd love to bring on our featured guest tonight, Corey Stedman. Corey, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, hi. Um, Thank you so very much, Brian, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks for having me. Of course. No, it's our pleasure. Uh, you know, I know we were fortunate enough to connect on LinkedIn, connect for a few initial calls. So I'm really excited, you know, mm -hmm. to dive into what you're working on, uh, the journey that you've been on so far, and, and really share those insights with our community. Um, so before we dive in too much, uh, let's just start with a brief, you know, introduction of yourself, right? Uh, and maybe your latest venture, Greenfire, and kind of how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So um, my name is Corey Stedman. Um, I'm in the cryptocurrency space. Um, several years ago, I started Greenfire, and the idea initially was to create a, a company that, you know, kind of uh, merged some of my passions um, and try to make money from it. Um, one of those things was um, I liked I like TV, I like media, um, but I I felt that television and YouTube was inadequate and Netflix was inadequate um, in terms of the offering and then the organization of stuff. And so I had created this platform called um, that period that TV. And essentially it was supposed to be a mix between regular television and YouTube and in a sense, um, torrenting as well. But it didn't really work out. There were some missing pieces to it. And so I pivoted. And one of the things that I was doing before and during that time was, um, was I was into cryptocurrency. I came across cryptocurrency in 2010, um, 2010, 2011. Um, and I was just looking at it, studying it. And then I finally bought my first Bitcoin. Um, in 2012 2013 and that's what really kick-started a lot of stuff um in regards to my passion for cryptocurrency and so it provided this um pivot point when that period wasn't really going to work out and so um a couple years ago we um we created greenery and essentially the reason why we created it was that 
myself and my friends, we were doing a lot of trading um, around 2017, 2018. And they had these elaborate spreadsheets to track all their transactions. And I was like, well, that's cool. It's really nice, but I'm not going to do that. That's too much work. There has to be an automated way to do this, you know, um, this pain that I'm having or this, uh, you know, this hurdle that I see to really, you know, granular uh, tracking and writing down of all my transactions. I'm sure someone else has come across it. Someone else has solved this. It's out there. I just have to look for it. And lo and behold, I did not find it. And so I was like, you know what? Let me try and, um, you know, cobble this together however I can. And I put together something super crude, but it really got the idea across and it made it to me. Um, it showed that it was viable, that it was possible to do this. And um, we're at a, my partners and I, we're down um, at Wall Street. We got um, picked up by a VC firm to do something else in cryptocurrency. Um, it was a, a triangular arbitrage trading bot, essentially. And that didn't work out for a myriad of reasons, but it was a very good experience. And so we were pursuing that. We were pursuing the gain and loss calculator, which is what greenery was called at the time. And when those, when the doors of that of that closed, I pursued, I continued building on the gain and loss calculator and it became greenery, what it is today. And so essentially, long story short, it is a cryptocurrency wallet with accounting functionality. And it serves as a foundation um, in regards to our cryptocurrency offerings and how we intend to um, make the cryptocurrency ecosystem better. That's amazing, Corey. And we're definitely going to be diving a lot more into greenery. Uh, as we probably all know, you know, cryptocurrency has definitely gained much more awareness uh, over the last five to 10 years, right? especially since 2010. So I'm sure a bunch of today's listeners are familiar with at least the broad topic of cryptocurrencies and we'll be sure to be diving in and, and kind of help build you know, a better perspective of where everything is and, and specifically where your product fits in. Um, but something that I caught, you know, as you shared your journey so far, right, and the stories that, you know, all came to a, a combination of forming greenery and, and really getting to where you are today, you know, the key lesson, it seems, is, you know, even though certain opportunities didn't work out in the full, you know, scale in which you hope them for, right, there is still always lessons, right, and things that you could pull away from those and attribute to the next step that you were taking in your journey. So I'm wondering, you know, whether it was between forming you know, more of that first video service company, right, or building the trading bot, what were, or what was one particular lesson that you can really remember from one of those experiences that has impacted um, your mission with Greenery so far? Um, a number of things. Um, so my number one, my number one mantra, number zero, rather, that I tell everyone is to write everything down, document everything, write it down. Um, the more you write down things, the easier it is to remember, the easier it is to retrieve. Um, 
get into the habit of archiving stuff and just me practicing. So I write every day. I write in the morning. I write noon, night. I have an idea, write it down, type it up. And so I have this catalog of not only ideas, but anecdotes, X, Y, and Z. Um, And what that has helped me do is, is it makes it a whole lot easier for me to iterate on an idea or iterate on something. Um, I'm not starting from scratch in a sense. Um, And so in regards to my past, what some may, may call like failures or whatever, what it taught me is that, well, number one, always write things down. But number two, what is there to extrapolate from that experience? Um, with that period, what I learned a number of things. Um, learn how to interface with developers. Learn Git. You know, I was being hard-headed for some time in regards to properly learning um, HTML and JavaScript and Git and GitHub. I mean, I knew it to a degree, but I figured, well, if I write this stuff down and I tell the developers to do this and that, you know, magically everything will appear just as I, <laughs> not at all, not at all, never. Um, you have to be diligent. You have to have a constant flow of communication with developers. And this is something that I had to learn over years. Um, I had to have many uh, failures in a sense, lost money, you know, frustration, um, redos. But what it did is it prepared me for this stage in my life in regards to greenery, well, green fire and greenery specifically, in that I'm now able to uh, vet developers better. I'm able to audit code. I'm able to, you know, as crude as it can be, make um, UX, UI uh, mockups, you know, hey, this is exactly what I want. And, you know, you got to move this here, move that there. And, you know, write out all the philosophy behind how the product is supposed to function in the overall arc and idea. And so those are the things that I really were, um, I was able to extract from those experiences. So, I mean, obviously when it comes to entrepreneurship and business, you know, no one wants to lose money. No one wants to, you know, waste effort. No one wants to burn, you know, burn time. But these things, you know, you can't have success without failure. You can't have, you know, listen, LeBron James or Michael Phelps or none of these athletes or, you know, listen, they've lost, you know, they've gotten injured and they are not as great as they are now um, without those compounding failures um, that has led up to the success. So, you know, you just got to take it in stride. Definitely. No, and, and I love, you know, writing it down. And I think a lot of people, like you said, right, especially in the early stages of any journey, there's a lot of decisions being made on a daily basis, right, across the board and all these different hats from, you know, managing developers or other employees, right, to managing other 
aspects of your partners or operations or finances of the business. And it can be hard to remember, you know, what you did last time, right? Or what your previous thoughts were. So I definitely like writing it down. You know, I do a similar thing on a weekly or monthly basis against the goals that we're trying to achieve. You know, what approach did we try? Is it on pace? Is it slowing down? What pivots can you make? Because uh, I think often when you just keep going from memory, right, our brains can do loops and you just always keep coming back to the same solution. So I really liked, um, you know, how you mentioned that and, and how you mentioned you, you know, compounded all those experiences. Um, and that's, you know, what I think a lot of us just try to do, right? And it's that awareness to the decisions that you made that allow you to make better ones going forward. But if you're not having some system of keeping track of that one way or another, you may find yourself following the same trail. Um, Brandon, I know you like to write some things down as well. Do you find that helps you prevent, you know, following the same process or going down the same trail where maybe there's an opportunity somewhere else? Yeah, Corey's definitely speaking my language, man. Is uh, uh, I, I have a, uh, a system. I, in fact, I have just a, I use um, Google Sheets and Google Docs all the time just so I don't lose anything. That's kind of my central repository. But I have a Google um, Doc that's just like startup business ideas. And I'll just wake up in the morning. The first thing I do is, is usually I'll just send myself a text or I'll send myself a quick email. And then I'll just put them on that sheet just for a rainy day. Now, 90% of them, 99, actually 100% of them, I, I usually never go back to. But they all spark different ideas perhaps across my life and so forth. Um, so I'm a big advocate for when you first wake up in the morning. I, I think when we dream in like bro, like a lot of stuff can actually come to us, not in any crazy way or anything else like that. But when you first wake up in the morning, always have a pen and paper. At least for me, I always have a pen and paper next to me. Um, the second piece is a, a person like myself, I don't have time to learn code and stuff like that. So a shameless plug for you, Brian, Incipient. <laughs> They do a phenomenal job. We, we this is this is not a commercial for us or anything else like that. But if you do not have time to um, to pick and 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 go through the process, and it can be a long process, and and like Corey said, you know, it takes a lot of money, and you work with somebody, and you figure out, oh, they they can only do so much, and then you have to work with somebody else. So sometimes having a project manager definitely uh, assists in that. But lastly. Um, Corey, you, you mentioned like be, in all these shows, like we get on here and we we talk about like a specific topic, but underneath is the moral of the story is that everybody that's on here hasn't had a cakewalk to get to where they want to go. <laughs> everyone we've had on here has lost money. Everyone we've had on here is, has struggled. Everyone we, we have on here has like had to, uh, you know, just so many different experiences. And that's why we're here today, right? Because we're able to smile. We're able to look back upon that. So it's great to have you here, Corey. And um, I'm interested to keep on moving on. Yes, certainly. Um, you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of your um, your journey, you know, you, there's this woe is me <laughs> mentality. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, why do I have to climb this hill? Everyone else that I know, they have it so much easier. And, you know, that could be the case, but most likely it's not true if they're really trying to achieve something of that's greater than themselves, you know. Um, I mean, I can't think of anyone that has had, um, that has achieved something great. I mean, even if you look at a Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or whoever else, right? I mean, they hide their, they may be hiding their scars, but I'm sure there was, you know, there's some battle scars that they don't, they, they may not really talk about, you know, 
Um, but I mean, like for instance, Elon Musk talks about it. You know, he slept at the factory. <laughs> you know, lots yeah. of people. Are, lots of people are not willing to do that. You know, sleep at the factory and get down on the factory floor and participate in um, in the manufacturing of vehicles or whatever, whatever business that you have. You know, um, which is a component of leadership, being able to. Um, not only orchestrate the orchestra, but then also be able to play the instruments as well if needed, you know, or participate in the in the building of the product. Um, and so, no, it is definitely not a cakewalk at all. Yeah, and I love. I, I also love how you said, um, uh, just kind of get a piece of paper and map it out. You know, like map it out, like draw out the UX. You don't need to have some like lucid chart or anything else like that or some crazy like different stuff. Just get a piece of paper, get a napkin, map it out, show somebody. If you don't know what you're doing, show somebody. Nobody's going to steal your, I'm not going to say nobody's going to steal your idea or anything else like that. I mean, always be 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 cognizant, but so many people are so fearful that I'm going to show this, this person, they're going to create the next rocket. You know, and that's typically not the case. You know, yeah. if, you, if you work with a professional firm, you're going to sign a quick um, non-disclosure agreement. It's it's okay. You know, so just get a pen, a paper, map it out, show somebody. That's the first step. Step yeah. one. Yeah. No, exactly. No, I can't agree more. And I think, you know, Corey, that really segues us into the first main topic that we want to talk about, right? I just want to make sure we give some depth, you know, before we dive into greenery so people truly, you know, understand what you guys have been able to create to date and really where your vision is into the future. Um, and of course, you know, that relies on a lot of what cryptocurrencies are, you know, the markets they've been able to develop so far and really, you know, what seems to be like a very positive future, right, with maybe some push and pullbacks here and there. But overall, there's a lot of great people, you know, doing a lot of great innovation across the space, um, just like yourself. So before diving into a, you know, any particular cryptocurrencies, right, uh, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are aware of Bitcoin, maybe Ethereum or some of the other big ones, um, you know, that have made news and, and financial journals uh, more regularly. Um, but when it comes down to cryptocurrency, right, it's really based on two key ideologies uh, in the technology world in particular, right, ideologies and, and technology languages themselves. Um, and with that, right, one side's really the growth of open source um, technology, communities and innovation, you know, as a whole, right, uh, over the last decade or so. Uh, and the other side is, of course, the blockchain itself, right, which um, many may know or may not know, but is, you know, the backbone of all cryptocurrency networks, right, um, as the technology that they're leveraging. So when it comes to the open source, you know, side and that community that's resulted in a lot of cryptocurrency, you know, how do you go about describing what cryptocurrency is to individuals and kind of how these two variables play into, you know, what a lot of cryptocurrencies have become today? Mm, that's a very good question. Um, there's a couple parts. Um, let me see. Let me answer the um, the last part, which is how do you describe cryptocurrency? So typically, the way that I, I describe cryptocurrency to people is that um, is I like to talk to I'd like to talk about it from my background, which is in IT and computing, um, in that one of the problems that we've had in regards to computing is that um, 
there was never really a way to control um, the proliferation of data. And meaning to say an, an example would be if you had a poem in a text document on your computer, right? Let's say a Maya Angelou poem. You can press control C, control V, or for the Mac users, command C, command V. Near infinity, you know, there's no cap. I mean, obviously you have the storage on the device, but you know, if it's if it's a text document, you know, very small. And if you have a you know terabyte hard drive, there's no there's really no uh, limit to how many times you can copy and paste that document, right? And then when you add the internet to it, then it's infinity, right? Now, the problem with that is you cannot create scarcity in such an environment. And value is predicated on scarcity, whether it's diamonds, whether it's gold, silver, plutonium, whatever, right? Um Scarcity is a key component of value, right? And if in a digital environment, there is no control on scarcity, then there can be no value, right? Generally speaking. With the advent of the blockchain, what it allowed is that you're able to, uh, able to control scarcity. You're able to um, dictate scarcity in digital environments, which has never been able to do, um, it was never it was never possible before, right? So think about it, right? If you and I met up at a Starbucks or whatever, and I handed you my phone, you're expecting that when I hand you my phone, that I no longer have it in my possession. This is, you know, core tenets of our physical reality, right? But if I send you a picture on my phone to your phone, I still have that picture. And that's how, that's the core virility on the internet, all these memes and stuff. And so the way that I explain cryptocurrency to people at a fundamental level is that if a Bitcoin were a picture or a picture were a Bitcoin and I sent it to you, I would no longer have it in my possession. And we know that this picture or this Bitcoin, there's only 21 million units of it. And so now we have a, uh, we have a definitive supply and now we cannot double spend. We cannot make duplicates of it. And so that's how I try to explain um, cryptocurrency to people and why it has intrinsic value because people think well it's just magic internet money and you know it's, it's silly and blah 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 but really and truly this this is the gravity of this technology is that it's been able to achieve something that was that was really a problem for you know close to 30 years if not more in regards to computing being able to create or dictate scarcity in digital environments. So to the first part of the question um, in regards to open source and what it means to cryptocurrency is that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, many people may not know, but 
Richard Stallman is considered, Richard Stallman and Linus Torvalds are considered to be the godfathers of open source. So Richard Stallman created the um, GPL, the General Public License, and Linus Torvalds years later created the Linux kernel. Um, and what the GPL allowed was, or, or how it came about was that um, the time that Richard Stallman came, came, uh, came up with it was that everything in regards to computing was super expensive. So, you know, only libraries or only uh, universities can afford a license to use the Unix operating system. Um, and only, you know, everything was siloed, everything, every company that created stuff, everything was under wraps, everything was, you know, they wanted to protect their IP, which I get, right? But for you to create a flourishing, vibrant computing ecosystem, you have to show your cards at some point, you know? And so what Richard Stallman did is, he was having some kind of frustration with a printer driver uh, or printing on a network. And so he tried to reverse engineer it and it didn't really work out or whatever, or he was successful, but that experience was the kernel for coming up with the GPL where people would create code that was open source, that you can view the source freely. Other people can copy it but if they wanted to, but they had their obligation was to republish their changes to the code. And so what that did is it spurred the, it spurred the growth of Unix-like clones, starting with Minix. And then Linus Torvalds came up with his own kernel, Unix-like kernel called Linux. And what that did is it really democratized access to computing, where at the time, the only options was DOS and maybe one of the BSDs or Windows like 3.1 at the time. And by creating a Linux kernel, what happened is now you've created this ecosystem of different uh, libraries and um, drivers for hardware and software, you know, GUI software and stuff like that, which fast forward created the foundation for very cutting edge or groundbreaking open source technology to come about. Not just uh, Linux itself, but for instance, um, Chrome, Chromium and Safari they came out of a project called uh, K WebKit, which was from the KDE desktop environment, which was essentially a desktop environment that was supposed to kind of mimic Windows built on Linux. So they created their own browser called Conqueror and Apple and, um, and Google borrowed the code and created what we have now is Safari and Chromium and Chrome. Um, out of that is out of the, the the open source ecosystem. Now you have all these programming languages that are not open source. 
Python, for instance, and WX widgets. And what came out of that was BitTorrent, which served kind of as an inspiration for the blockchain and cryptocurrency. Um, Linus Torvalds, for them to really build the Linux kernel, you have to understand this, you know, there's hundreds of people around the globe in different time zones, different languages, contributing to this Linux kernel. <clears throat> and how do you manage all these revisions in software in the code? Well, there's something called a, a revision system. And they're using, I believe, something called SVN or CVS, one or the other. And either way, um, the company behind that software, they did not like, they had, they were having um, a tiff with the community. They, they wanted some of it to be closed source. They didn't want to, they wanted to issue licenses for special purposes and whatever. Linus Torvald said, you know what, forget you guys. And he created Git. And Git, as you now know, is the cornerstone of the internet in regards to all projects, right? And we have out of Git, we have GitHub. And so with the advent of Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin was built using Git and GitHub and then Litecoin and all these other cryptocurrencies were um, created using open source software and the open source licenses and now that now we have this vibrant ecosystem. So, you know, to the original question, how did open source influence cryptocurrency? The whole history, you know, without this idea of, you know, um, of Richard Stallman creating um, the LGPL or the, the GPL, the other iterations of that license, and without Linus Torvalds creating Linux and Git, we might not have had uh, Bitcoin as it is now. The, the, the environment to create it probably would not have occurred if those things were not in place. That was extremely well explained, Corey, and I, I appreciate that. I think, you know, what I'll try to do my best is, is recap it a little bit. Um, I am fortunate enough to have a similar knowledge on, on the adoption and, you know, history of open source technology. Mm -hmm. um, but I know some members in the community, you know, may not be, you know, as technical or involved in, you know, projects where, where they're leveraging open source technology yet, right? Because there is still a transition in a lot of the other industries uh, and across the world outside of crypto, right? Because crypto cryptography and crypto overall, um, you know, is really one of the pioneers when it comes to innovating in this space, leveraging these new modern technologies and approaches. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll do my best to recap a little bit. And then Brandon, I'd love to get your insights. And Corey, of course, jump in and correct me anywhere. But, um, you know, really, right, what, what crypto is, right, is it's based on the back of cryptography and blockchain, right, where cryptography um, is a, just a layer of encryption. Right. And before that was there, much to your point, Corey, around scarcity. Right. The reason we were unable to create scarcity is we could not secure a digital asset right, where it could not be copied, replicated or hacked. Right. Um, and because of that, 
it's irrelevant if you transfer the dollar because someone would hack your dollar <laughs> times it by a million, right? And, and break the entire system and all the cards would fold before anybody got any momentum. Yeah. Um, so I love that, you know, your frame of the scarcity is such a clean way to put it. And of course, the way that we were able to build scarcity is just the layer of cryptography, right? Which is where crypto, the word comes from. Mm -hmm. And the blockchain is essentially the ledger, right? In your example of using the iPhone and the phone and the photos that are on your phone, right? The blockchain is essentially the ledger or your photo album, right? Or storage yes, on your device. Exactly, exactly. And between being able to have that balance of the encryption, which enables security, right? And trust to create the scarcity. And then the blockchain, right? Being that ledger, Right. Um, but that's really open where everybody's sending and receiving photos. Right. And it's acting as a library that we could all see to know that you sent photo one to Brandon, photo two to me and that you no longer hold them. Right. We're all privy to that. And that's where the open source element comes into. Right. I love the way that you really provided a deep history of from the technology side, how it really you know, eroded the traditional technologies that existed, right? The legacy technologies and opened up this community that really advertently created blockchain. And like you said, we may have never had it without that natural progression, right? Of just chaos and timing and you never know what could come out of it. And blockchain mm -hmm. was one of those things. Um, and then of course, as it dives in further, the open source side is also like a new social, right? Brand calling as well, because in order, even though we know it's encrypted, even though we know there's scarcity, how do you still instill trust? And the only way to do that is full transparency. And like you said, there's a full transparency to the developers, right? They can see who created this code base, when were the latest changes made, who were they made by, while also participating in a community that all wants to see something succeed so they can all code, contribute in their own way and push that to the public ledger where everybody could see what's the latest version and who changed what, right? Mm -hmm. And that same transparency comes out into the currency side with Bitcoin, where at any given point in time, right, it doesn't say people's okay. names, but each one of us has a Bitcoin wallet. And if we all know who's, whose wallet address, right, it's very easy to type that in. And we can see how much Bitcoin are you holding? Where have you sent it last, right? Where do you like to buy it? And that level is kind of the second side of the coin of open source software, right? It creates transparency to the consumer market while also advancing innovation on the back end through engineers because everybody's getting access without having to pay a license to even play with the technology, mm -hmm. right? And for those that can't imagine, you know, kind of how this technology took place, right? The simplest thing we can look back to is Microsoft Word, right? Where like you touched on, and when that first started, how could they stop somebody from copying a license? The only way was to make sure they printed off the picture, AKA a CD-ROM, right? And they mailed that to you after you bought it online. And that's how they knew you only had one copy because they printed it. They allowed no digital copy, right? And now we've all seen them go to cloud, right? And we can have a cloud license and they know who is who. A lot of that is also driven on, you know, an advancement of legacy technology, but in the growing environment today and letting it scale, right? A lot of that's based on blockchain. It's based on artificial intelligence, Python, and a lot of these other open source technologies that emerged. Mm -hmm. um, and we're also seeing open source a lot more on all these cloud platforms, right? AWS and Microsoft, they're letting everybody get access to AI for free, as long as you're paying for a server, because they want to see people innovate 
And that's really where, you know, the whole community is going. So I just loved how you touched on the scarcity and the technical elements. And I kind of just wanted to give the listeners a little bit, you know, of an analogy of something that we've all probably been through that is listening. And that's kind of what you're seeing, right? The digitalization of that Microsoft license is the same digitalization of the dollar, which is now, you know, starting to present its value in different forms of cryptocurrencies, right? As well as ones that act to mirror, you know, the dollar itself. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a very interesting, obviously, progression that I think a lot of people aren't aware of how fast it's progressing. And every year it's only getting quicker and quicker because of both the consumers being able to have that transparency and trust and that compounded effect of engineers, you know, around the world, millions of people contributing to projects that they truly believe in. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of with that landscape out there, Brandon, I'm curious, you know, how do you, what did you learn new? I know you're in the crypto space as well, uh, but kind of, you know, how have you been navigating that space? And, you know, based on Corey's and, and I's best attempts at, you know, um, describing or creating a brief synopsis of it, you know, is there anything else you'd add on top of that? I, I would just add that both of you dropped the mic. <laughs> I was just going to bail when Corey started talking. He started talking. I mean, that, that pretty much, I was thinking like in my head, I'm trying to pay attention to what he's saying, but I'm thinking in my head, like, all right, clip point is here. Clip point is there. This is, this is gold. That, <laughs> that summary you just gave and Brian, your, your summary as well. Both of those summarize everything that anybody wants to know. Well, I, I would say like 90% of what people need to know. I mean, there's a, there's a few other um, things that they're going to be interested in. Those are the questions that I have now. So I know, Corey, you mentioned first the, the different coding languages. And I just want to say for most of our audiences is like probably 25 to like 50 year old, you know, guys and girls, whatever. If you have kids, get them involved in coding language early. Oh. I, know, I, I know that Corey mentioned Python, like get them involved in STEM, get them involved in stuff like that. It really will make a huge, huge difference. I think Roblox is another one and stuff like that. Get, get them involved in some type of programming or something because it's going to give them a competitive edge moving forward. So I just want to say that. The second thing was um, it drives me crazy to hand a check. To, I want to pay everybody in Bitcoin, right? If a service person comes over to my house, I don't see why. I'm not paying them on my phone right here in front of me. I don't know why I'm writing a check to them and it has my it not it has my my uh, number on it. Not it has my bank account number on it. It has my address on it. The only thing it doesn't have is my social security number. I don't understand it. I don't understand why I carry around a credit card or or a Mac card and actually slide it through a machine with 50,000 people watching. And not only that, everything's on camera. But on top of not only sliding the card or putting the card in, now they want me to put my pin that's secure in there in front of everybody else in cameras and everything else. It's, it's, it's no wonder why cards get hacked. There's money coming out left and right. But my one question is, is that, that I have for, for really both of you is when, when you hear of crypto getting hacked, it is not the blockchain. That is getting hacked. It is a it it has nothing to do with that. That is tight. That is secure. Nothing is getting hacked there. What is it that's getting hacked? Because I know that that that, that people are fearful of that. Oh, it, it, you know, this gets hacked. But it is the system. It is the platform of some type of thing. Can both of you maybe explain? Take take a minute or two explain of, yeah. of a hacking case. What what yeah. do you hear like? Yeah. So certainly. So <clears throat> um, if I were to 
if I had to separate this into um, how do I word this um, into two uh, eras of hacking. So the first era of hacking um, in regards to cryptocurrency started with exchanges. And then the second era is with smart contracts. All right. So in regards to exchanges, I think something that a lot of people don't really get or understand is that a lot of exchanges started off as hobbies. They were not, if I had to guess, I don't think the operators of these exchanges, yes, they got into it for money, um, but also for the love of the of the idea and the um, and the community. But I don't think they really understood that this is a quasi bank. Mm. <laughs> it's a it's a mix of a bank and a stock exchange. And I think they they might have understood it to a degree, but they didn't they didn't think of it that serious in a sense of security, right? So when you hear the first exchange that got hacked, Mount Gox, Mount Gox actually stands for Magic the Online Gathering, Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. It was an ex- it was a platform for trading, trading um for trading magic cards, not for cryptocurrency, right? And so you have to under- so you have to think. Well, they had all this inf- infrastructure set up, but they probably didn't really think about securing it and so that was one that was the first major hack in cryptocurrency then um you have some other exchanges like cryptopia i was actually on cryptopia i had a, an account on cryptopia um and one of the things when you read about the guys behind cryptopia they admitted they said well we started this essentially like like a hobby but then it just grew so fast that we had to hire people. We had to quit our jobs, and you know they had all the, all the trappings of good problems in a startup. You know, the growth. You know, but then, um, you know, it wasn't. It was not as secure as they believed it to be, and they got drained. Um, and you know, there's numerous stories. Of, but that's not the block. That that has nothing. To, the blockchain is a hundred percent secure. Secure. But, what was getting hacked or was getting hacked in these examples are the websites that are hosting or facilitating the trades of these different currencies. So what's happening is an exchange is basically um, computers or a computer with a number of cryptocurrency wallets and their private keys on the wallet and it's a database as well. So the database says that Brandon and Brian have, you know, Brandon has Ethereum, Brian has Bitcoin. They want to exchange and they're trying to they're trying to find a common ground. And in the database, we're just switching who has what. But then guess what? Brian wants to repatriate the Ethereum to his own wallet. And so the exchange needs to be able to trigger the private key to sign the transaction to send the currency out to the other wallet to the wallet that um 
that Brandon has. But, you know, in, in between that, they want to get their cut as well, you know? And so where the, where the compromise is happening is that the private key that controls the wallet with, the, with all the currency in it, that's what's getting compromised. Their store, wherever they're storing it is being accessed by bad actors, by hackers. And that those hackers are then, they take the private key and then they mount it into another wallet and they say, oh, wow, look at all this Ethereum here. And we just send it to another wallet and that's it. That's how, that's how they're getting hacked. So some of the best practices in regards to um, an exchange is, well, you don't, you don't keep all your currency in a hot wallet. And so there are some, well, a lot of exchanges now, they keep a certain percentage of their holdings in cold storage. It's basically private keys that are temporarily removed from accessing the internet. And so that's the first era of hacking in regards to cryptocurrency, attacking an exchange um, and accessing all these different, uh, all their private keys and then that's the currency held in them. In regards to the second era, which is smart contracts, smart contracts are very interesting because they basically automate previously manual tasks in a sense. Um, and we've never, and this is another innovation we've never really had before, um, money that actually could perform actions based off of triggers and events. Um, you know, when you send a dollar to someone else, you hand someone a dollar, you don't expect that dollar to do backflips or do anything, you know, it's just, it's just paper, right? But with a smart contract, when you send Ethereum or whatever else, using a smart contract, it's like you're sending a dollar and in the margins or in the borders or the, the perimeter of the dollar, you're writing instructions for it to do something once it once it gets to the intended uh the intended recipient you know now with the smart contracts they're written this code is typically written in solidity which is essentially a dialect of javascript there can be holes there can be bugs in it and people are exploiting these smart contracts. And some smart contracts, well, smart contracts, they, they can either perform actions or they can lock up currency. Um, so in the case of like a DEX, which is a decentralized exchange, um, you know, it may it's going to facilitate um, market making, making sure that the pool of assets are balanced. Um, so that could be exploited. Um, hopefully it doesn't get exploited. Hopefully they have, you know, good enough auditors and um, developers that are constantly, you know, um, tightening up the code so that, um, so that this doesn't happen. But yeah, in regards to hacking, they're hacking the smart contract. They're looking for flaws and vulnerabilities in the code and exploiting them to allow the, to interact with the smart contract to to um, to compel the smart contract to drain itself into the wallet of their choice essentially um, but the 
the wallet itself that's secured by cryptography, the private key, that's not getting unwound or the, the, the public wallet address, that's not getting unwound to extract the private key to send the transactions. What's getting exploited is the vulnerabilities that were not found in the smart contract itself. And so when people say, well, Bitcoin is insecure because it's getting hacked and stuff like that, it's not getting hacked. It's that the platform in regards to exchanges, they're not, they're not doing, they're not doing the best that they could in regards to security, right? And then in regards to the, the smart contracts that are being deployed, they're not getting audited as best as they could to avoid these issues from happening. Wow. Yeah. You you could literally watch anybody that anybody who's listening to this, you could you could watch 50 hours of YouTube video and read 50 different pieces of content and you wouldn't get that simple explanation that Corey just gave the, of the of the two different ways. So we're we're definitely going to share that. I don't know if we're going to get to everything tonight, but I think we're going to have to have Corey back and talk about some NFT stuff as well, right? At another yeah. time. At another time. So definitely. I think tonight yeah. will be good to lay the foundation. Corey couldn't yeah. agree more with you know what the vulnerabilities you presented uh, and i think you know just to kind of add an anecdote in case people are not familiar with some of the terminology you use right because mm-hmm. you use it very clearly in regards to you know what the flaws are uh so as a brief recap right the exchanges are pretty much like the td ameritrades if we want to just look at the stock market and things that people are you know most likely already have on their phone right and when you are going to TD and you're saying, I want to buy 50 shares of Apple, right? You're just typing in on your front end 50 shares of Apple, right? And when you hit submit on the back end, TD is going to all of their banking partners, right? And seeing who owns that Apple and who wants to sell it at that price, right? And we all trust those experiences to be secure. <laughs> um, but in the past, right, they've been hacked as well, um, you know, whether they thoroughly go missing, right? Most of the time they're recovered because all these banks are insured, right? But there are vulnerabilities when everybody's building the new technology. But much like you were saying, Corey, right? What's even happening in TD's scenario is they're the ones that are technically owning that Apple stock for you on their platform under your name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but whoever is holding that certificate of stock is Brian Weiner, you know, sponsored by TD, right? TD is the underwriter on that stock. And what you mean by the keys, right, is in the crypto world, our keys are essentially our account number and our routing numbers of our checking accounts, right, for those that won't know exactly what the keys mean. And on the exchanges, you don't have access. You don't only. Have- you're not the only one, right? You <laughs> technically see them. You could copy and paste them, but you're leaving that wallet and they call them hot wallets because they're online, they're on the internet and they can be seen and they can be accessed because Mm -hmm. the blockchain again is open source and open for everybody to see. And what happens is because you don't own your keys, you essentially don't own the key to your safety deposit box, right? Somebody else has copies of it that's facilitating transactions on your behalf. If they lose that key, right, or they drop it out of their pocket, which in the digital world means they left it, you know, in their code for somebody else to see, someone's going to take that key and they can access your box and do whatever activities they want with the assets that are in there. Um, So when we say cold storage, you know, a lot of people will have to look into it a little bit more. 
Uh, but you want to look up like hardware wallets, right? Which is essentially like a thumb drive that you would save files on traditionally, uh, but it's fully encrypted and it's built to just store cryptocurrency in particular. And it essentially takes your um, assets, right? Your crypto, whatever it may be off the internet and into cold storage. So that's why we call it cold. You have to plug in that ledger and connect it to the internet for, to facilitate transactions. Your assets aren't just sitting online somewhere in an exchange in a different country, right, per se. Um, so I really loved, you know, how you broke that down. And I think the only other thing, you know, that a lot of more people are seeing across the board today, right, is just a lot of spamming attacks, pushing attacks. So right? they're happening in employee, um, you know, work offices and cybersecurity companies are looking at them a lot just for getting any type of information, let alone crypto information, right? Um, and in the crypto world, you know, the thing is just protect your keys. It's essentially don't give somebody the username and password to your bank account, right? It's the same rules <laughs> that apply. Um, so Brandon, I love that you brought up, you know, some of the concerns, because I think those are very important, you know, for people that are starting to, you know, gain more awareness of the space. Those are always some of the top concerns because we do hear those stories and those are always, you know, the top news articles that we see as well. Um, but on the flip side of that, Corey, right, going into more some of the benefits, you know, and leading into what your platform is helping facilitate for businesses, right, with greenery, you know, what are some of the key ways that businesses should look to investigate blockchain technology to see how it can help them? Or, you know, what are maybe some use cases of how other companies are applying this technology in a meaningful way? Yeah, so um, I think the easiest the easiest example or easiest um, you know, application or the application use case is um, authenticity in regards to like, um, you know, think of like sneakers. So, I mean, sneakers is like a whole subculture in and of itself. Um, I haven't really gotten into it yet, um, but like I've been watching from the sidelines is very interesting. But one of the things that you do um, that is a problem is fake shoes, fake sneakers. And there's really no way currently to authenticate that they're truly from the factory. They haven't been tampered with X, Y, and Z um, other than someone with a really good eye <laughs> examining the shoe, you know, and being able to figure out, well, okay, this wasn't made, you know, this wasn't made by Nike, this wasn't made by Adidas, you know. Um, and so in regards to authenticating, um, like, luxury items, that could be a use case. Um, also in regards to supply chain and supply chain logistics, um, being able to inject um, or like have a provenance in a sense. So when you think of provenance, provenance you um, provenance is a term from the art world in regards to the authenticity of a Jackson Pollock, you know, or Rembrandt or whoever else, right? You want to know, well, okay, um, it left this house or it left from this art gallery and then went to this other art gallery, and then this buyer bought it at Christie's, and then this guy put it on sale at Sotheby's and blah, blah, blah. And there's, there's a provenance, there's a, some, there's a ledger 
where people are writing this down and they're authenticating that, okay, this is truly what it is. This is not, you know, some forger in his basement, you know, that just left the art store and made this, you know. Um, and so in regards to using it or applying that same concept of provenance to items, whether it's determining their authenticity or determining their safety. So you think of like food. Um, I mean, listen, how many times have we have we heard of food recalls, you know, in the past 10 years or past 20 years? And, you know, if you hear of, you know, a salmonella outbreak, you know, wherever, you know, in the West Coast and you're in the East Coast, you want to be able to know some way, somehow that um, that the food that you picked up at the grocery store has not been affected by this in some way, shape, or form. And so having a provenance in regards to not only our clothing, but also our um, our food, and even like you know, like a Carfax in a sense. I mean, Carfax is one of the one of the first instances that I, at least that I know of, where it was tracking the the health or the history of a car, right? Um, is it all inclusive? Is it, you know, the end all be all? Maybe not, but then it's a really good start. But um, having something like that straight from the manufacturer itself, where each time as the car, once the car left the manufacturer, first time it gets serviced, Hey, we add this. Uh, we add this record to its record on the blockchain. Then we move on. It gets its first oil change. We add that record. So there's a true from uh, from source to consumer tracking of the car's health. Because listen, you go and you know you go and buy a car somewhere, you know wherever, right? You know, you have to take the dealership's word <laughs> that it is what it is, you know? It's only until after a couple of weeks you drive that, you know, oh man, there's an engine knock, you know, wheels wobbly, whatever, you know, you don't want to deal with that. So long story short, the way that, um, the way that that blockchain can be applied is using it as a provenance or using it to track um, our items from the manufacturer or the, from the source to the consumer and even to the secondary market where the consumer may pass it on to someone else, whether it's by sale or by some kind of exchange. Exactly. No, and I think you explained that so well, Corey, right? Because I think what we just did a nice thing, it was diving into the cryptocurrency world a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Which is an application of blockchain, which I think a lot of people get confused on, right? They think blockchain and cryptocurrency are synonyms for one another, but mm -hmm. cryptocurrency is a use case of blockchain. Right? Yeah. So I think that's just a big myth to help people, you know, dispel that association uh, of those titles because they've both become trendy at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what I love what you said, right, is the providence, the authenticity, right, being able to track, right, because what blockchain really does, right, is it allows us leveraging cryptography, right, to know that the information we're assigning to something is authentic, 
right? And we're knowing when it's being there because of the transparency of blockchain. And we know that nobody can manipulate that record, right? That was published because of the security of that blockchain, right? So everything, mm -hmm. all the information in there is insecure. And what I think more companies need to recognize is that blockchain acts as a ledger of digital assets, right? Whether those assets are shoes, like you said, right? Being mm -hmm. able to say, for Nike, right, and we're all seeing it with their NFTs now. I'll try to mm -hmm. not dive into NFTs because I think that's a monster on its mm -hmm. own. Um, but it's, you know, that essentially what blockchain is going to do is it's going to create the tightest connection between the physical and the digital world that we've ever seen, right? Yeah. Especially when it comes to information. And in, because of that security that it has, it allows you to digitally authenticate any asset. And from there, you can track any of the activities that happen with that asset, right? Mm -hmm. And in the cryptocurrency world, everybody assumes every cryptocurrency is trying to replicate the dollar, right? Or replace money. Uh, but that's really not the case, right? Yeah. And as anybody dives deeper, they'll see there's different projects. Uh, and since we're just talking about the supply chain one, you know, don't want to go into too many cryptocurrencies, but there is one called Chainlink, right? And their goal is to be the global supply chain solution. And the only reason you'd be using their tokens, right, is because that's the value or that's the tender of that platform for that digital utility, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why you would be holding it. Um, but I love how you said that because I think a lot of people, again, think it has to relate to the money or the financial aspects of their business, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But it can, it can relate to tracking consumer goods. It, you could use that data to improve customer experiences around food, right? Showing that all of your goods are locally sourced, right? There's so many different applications. If you just start to think about where does trust matter the most with my clients or my employees, right? Is that in your supply chain for operations or letting your customers know where the food comes? That same information can be used for both use cases, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where businesses aren't fully recognizing that this is just a digital utility. And when you're looking at your business, it's what are the things that you wish you could track better? What are the things you wish you could share but are highly secure, right? And you need a better way to make that public without giving everybody access to your financial statements, right? Um, and I love that, you know, you kind of touched on that authenticity because that shows that you can trust this. And now the blockchain is just your infrastructure, right? Or your foundation to scale that information and that trust and transparency. Um, mm. So I loved how you really d dove into that side of it. Uh, Brandon, did you have a similar understanding or, you know, did you always see blockchain and cryptocurrency as different <laughs> or kind of one is the same? I am learning a ton here. I mean, I thought I knew a little bit, but I didn't know Jack. I mean, after, <laughs> after listening to you two, <laughs> I mean, what the heck? Um, I just want to, I want to ask this question. I, and just let me know if I'm incorrect in saying this is I see blockchain being more heavily adopted and utilized in shipping and transportation than I do in crypto. It's just that crypto has the more flash and dash because there's money associated with it. You, is that correct to kind of say it's, it's, it's more say or does or does crypto kind of still rule the blockchain market versus shipping transportation because i've heard so much about the block in transportation and everything else like that and i know that's such a huge market you know with um with with everything going on right now so i just want to get your feedback on there and, and throw that out there am i incorrect in saying that is it like are we not are, is it still crypto that rules that i think i, th I would say they're about equivalent um 
I'd say they're about equivalent. You know, the thing with, with cryptocurrency in regards to the blockchain um, is that it was the most obvious use case. You know, like, hey, we're now able to, we're now able to, to, we're now able to create scarcity or dictate scarcity in digital environments. Um, what's the first thing we're going to do? Create value. Well, we can also create, we can also create authenticity of items because we're securing this with cryptography. Um, that's very strong cryptography at, um, at that and a mechanism of decentralizing and distributing um, the task of securing this entire mechanism. Um, cryptocurrency was just an obvious use case um, in regards to tracking things. I think is I think it will catch on. Um, I think it will catch on. You know, um, you know, a lot of businesses still have this idea or this mindset that everything needs to be um, held close to the chest. They're always guarding their guarding their their jewels, their cards, and. I think as time goes on and as things um, change throughout the world, um, people want more, um, they want more transparency. They want more um, corporate um, responsibility for things. They want to know that um, things are ethically sourced as well. And so, to your point, um, I do believe that the use case or the knowledge of blockchain in regards to tracking consumer goods or just even any kind of goods, it will become more um, commonplace. Um, but I don't know if it will outstrip the use of cryptocurrency. I, I do see that they uh, it will become it'll it'll get on parity in a sense. It'll become equivalent. Um, you know, in the business world, everything, well, everything is tracked on Tezzle, so everything is tracked on, you know, Ethereum sidechain or whatever, you know? Um, so yeah, that's how that's how I see it. How do you see it, Brian? What do you what do you see in your market? Yeah, no, I mean, you work with so many different market segments too. You, I mean <laughs> Yeah, so. definitely. No, I think, you know, Corey said it best, right? I think the way that blockchain emerged is, is it was uh, a creation of the people of the internet. And what I mean by the people of the internet is I mean, the technology enthusiasts of the world, you know, the engineers of the world, this was done, you know, in free market with free labor created by people that wanted to create the first uh, money of the internet that was fair for everybody. Um, and I think, a lot of people don't recognize if you're not in the tech world, if you're not an engineer, um, you may see it like in your workplace, right? That these people are more, you know, intertwined with one another, but we have very deep communities. And when they attack a mission, especially one like the challenge that's really always been going on, I think for every engineer is how can you create a digital money? Uh, it's always like the utopia of a problem statement <laughs> in the engineering world. And when blockchain emerged, you know, uh, Bitcoin and right, others alike that many have tried as well. And Bitcoin just came out of it because of the model that they had created um, without going too deep. But I think, you know, that was just what I would say, um, like the public worlds and communities, like the Internet communities problem statement that they wanted to solve. 
Um, and I think they know that what we saw in the last 10 to 15 years is major companies that had significant capital, right, could build the technology that the world needed, but individuals couldn't because of the cost to develop these things at that time. Um, with the progression of everything, like Corey mentioned, open source technology, you know, cloud computing, AI, right, hardware increases, right, things are much more sustainable from a cost perspective. A lot more people can contribute than ever before. And that's why we saw us go after the money use case first because they know if we can decentralize money, then we can slowly decentralize every single other aspect of the world, right? Money is what drives and facilitates every transaction or interaction between organizations. So I think much to Corey's point, like the communities and the public internet people, we wanna solve the money problem because we want everybody to be equal uh, and be able to get paid easily, et cetera. And I think much to your point, Brandon, where we're starting to see businesses recognize like the, most applicable use case for them to apply blockchain is around supply chain or something specific around compliance where the integrity of that information needs to be highly secure, uh, but it also needs to be transparent, whether it's just within the organization or whether it's out to consumers as well. So I think much to Corey's point, I would say, you know, cryptocurrency is more of like the world's problem that we're all trying to solve. And if you really look, there's no major company, you know, building on the blockchain outside of like Square by Jack, right? But they're an open source company um, and those investing in it that believe in it to drive it. But everybody that's mining, right? There's bigger factories, but there's still small facilities all the way across the entire United States of individuals that just believe in it. And now that that's gained such a dominance where people thought it was just going to be a fad, now we're going to start seeing more and more companies explore, you know, what does this mean to them? And again, much to Corey's point, between the pandemic and just the way that the whole world's been changing, you know, social issues are things that employees hold close to themselves now, consumers hold close and they want brands and companies that they're working for or buying from to have some continuity with their beliefs, right? And that's where we're gonna see more transparency, whether the companies would like to have it or not, because you're gonna see companies that are comfortable or maybe new companies emerging with this full transparent approach. And it's gonna force the more traditional ones to you know, move towards this new, um, what I would say, standard, you know, in the industry. It's not there yet, but I think we'll definitely see it there, you know, over the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I just have one, one, one other quick question, and then we'll get back on the tracks, Bri. I, pr I promise you, man. I'm just, I'm just interested in this. I think it's interesting for other people, too. So I, I think this is a down, one of the, one of the worries of people um, is the ease to move money. It is difficult to move money. If you want, and I'm talking outside of the crypto space, if you're, if you're with a bank, and I'm not against big banks or anything else like that. I'm a, I'm a big fan. They work. They're incredible. I'm heavily invested in everything else like that. I'm just asking you as a, as a question to, to learn more for myself and not, and, and the people listening as well is, you know, it's easier to move money in crypto that it is a normal bank. And I think sometimes people um, relate that to crime, I guess, because it's, it, they can move, high, it's, it's easier to hide money or whatever else like that. So I'd like to just get your kind of feedback, both of you, just quickly, you know, what, what, what is that all about? What does that mean? What goes on with that whole piece? Because I think that's confusing for people too. Go ahead, Corey. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> So this is a this is a, this is something this is very interesting because um, 
you know, when you do talk to um, when you do talk about cryptocurrency and you come across detractors, critics, you know, some of the things they cite as well as youth for crime, drug dealing, blah, 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 X, Y, and Z. And the thing is, any I came across a quote and I'm paraphrasing it. I came across it on Twitter. And essentially, the, the, the writer, the author of this quote said, um, any technology that is just easy to use or significant can be used by both criminals and regular citizens. There's no, you know, there's no use, there's no... Um, there's no demarcation between the two. There's no difference between the two. Means to say, you know, guess what? A lot of hackers use MacBooks. And this is a, it's a fact, actually. A lot of hackers use MacBooks. A lot of hackers use Windows laptops, um, you know, use the Windows operating system. A lot of hackers use Linux. Should we start cracking down on Linux and the distribution of MacBooks? Because we found that when we raided their house, they had a whole bunch of MacBooks laying around, and you know they had they were using iPhones as well. You know, so you know, criminals will use any tool available that the public has access to. Now, when we're talking about financial crime, um, when we're comparing financial crime from cryptocurrency to the traditional fiat world, um, I mean, in the past 10 years, numerous banks have been cited in regards to money laundering, right? Um, this is well-documented information. You know, it happens, or that's what happens there. But a lot of the critics and detractors, they make it appear as if crime just came about or financial crime just started with the advent of cryptocurrency, whereas that's not the case. Um, the other thing is in regards to crime using cryptocurrency, it's very unlike crime before where it took a lot of work to find, well, to find the, um, to, to trace the criminal, right? Um, you know, let's say someone, let's say someone robbed a bank or, you know, robbed a jewelry store or whatever, right? They would take the money and they would launder it somehow or, or move the jewels somehow. They find a fence or whatever, right? And that took a lot of work, a lot of legwork to trace it and, you know, catch the criminal, Right. In regards to cryptocurrency, um, the hack that happened at Bitfinex, right? The hack that yeah. happened at Bitfinex, right? These, this couple, they really tried their best to obfuscate their transactions and to hide the money. I mean, whether if you're sitting on a million dollars, right? it's an itch that you definitely want to scratch at some point. It's too enticing not to spend, right? But the problem is when you steal Bitcoin or you steal Ethereum or any kind of cryptocurrency, you will get caught. It is inevitable because you're leaving 
breadcrumbs all along the way. You know, at some point you're going to want to, at some point you want to keep the lights on, you know, so you're going to convert it into fiat currency, you know, and even if you didn't convert it into fiat currency, let's pretend that you could pay Khan Edison in Bitcoin. I mean, you stole the money from this place. You paid for it over here. We know that the money left this wallet over here and it made its way over to Con Edison somehow. How did it do this? Well, here's the middleman that's sitting, you know, somewhere in Manhattan. You know, that's how it happened, you know? And so I think, you know, if I were a part of a government agency, I would encourage people to use this technology more. You're making it so much easier for us to find you people, you know? We never had this before, you know? It takes years for auditors and forensic accountants to reverse transactions in the real world, you know, in regards to bank fraud or whatever else. You know, it takes hundreds of man hours, you know, to to catch people. And it's not to say that it's it's not to say that it's so much easier in the cryptocurrency world in terms of time, but in terms of the the threads, the tracing, um, it's become so much easier, you know. Um, but I guess overall, my perspective in regards to cryptocurrency facilitating crime, I think that's a distraction in a sense because the technology is so much more than just facilitating crime. Um, and even if we banned all cryptocurrency, crime will still occur, you know? Um, and so it's not, it's not the facilitator that people um, believe it to be, is my perspective. What about you, Brad? No, I, I completely agree with Corey. You know, I think with any innovation, it can be scary when it first comes, right? People heard robotics were going to come to warehouses. They thought everybody was going to be out of a job, you know, within two to three years, right? That's not the way that, although technology is progressing faster than it before, it still requires an adoption curve, even if that adoption curve is faster, right? Um, and I think with cryptocurrency, much like Corey said, any bad actors exist in every environment. Uh, and when there's a new tool for them to utilize that the government may be behind on, they'll always utilize that tool first, right? Um, so maybe in the first year or so, yes, more illicit activity was being done with cryptocurrencies, but that doesn't mean that it could not be tracked, right? It's just that they went to use this new tool that people were unfamiliar with. So therefore, it's a bad actor tool, right? And that's all it's used for. And what we've seen now, right, and I won't go too deep, but if people are really interested, you know, there was just a Senate hearing about a week or two ago um, where senators asked this specific question. And there's a lot of companies that have grown now and they're on-chain analytic companies. And what they do is, again, if for everyone that forgot, you know, cryptocurrency and blockchain is open source. There's one or two private blockchains. But outside of that, like Corey said, um, you're going to be swapping to other currencies. You're going to hit something at some point um, that shows the flow. Even if you sent a funds through a thousand fake wallets to then have it pop out at the end, they just need to wait for you to pop it out. And then they'll use that one address and they'll see all the other transactions that came or went from that one. 
And it may take them some time to create that chart of what happened, but they'll definitely do it 10 times faster than trying to find um, physical evidence in the real world of, you know, fraudulent checks or how they were spent or, you know, taking out credit cards and other people's names and identity theft, right? Those activities are 10 times more time consuming. Uh, and for those that want decentralized money, you know, they're pretty open to fair regulations and monitoring of the blockchains to ensure that illicit activity is not at the forefront because we know that it's a deterrent to anybody else getting into the space. And by anybody, we mean, you know, hedge funds, significant corporations, those that would really, you know, bring it into a true digital currency and not just one of the people, but one of, you know, everybody, organizations, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think much to Corey's point, he really hit it, you know, nail on the head. And now that since a lot of, I don't think we still hear that a little bit here and there, you know, more from senators and people that aren't as fully educated on how it's advanced, you know, since some early days and usage of different attacks and illicit activity. And now there's companies that are going to, you know, make their entire living on working with the government to ensure that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, and just like any other industry, it's going to keep evolving. We're going to have experts come from other spaces. Um, and I don't think, you know, it's going to be anything just like money laundering systems track, you know, Wall Street and everything else. There'll be similar solutions across the entire cryptocurrency and blockchain space. Um, but I think it is, you know, a very good question and one that many probably have at the front of their mind. Brandon, so I'm happy we were able to dive into that. Um, but Corey, I know we're going in a little lengthy here. We still have, you know, some good time left, but I want to make sure, you know, we have plenty of time to dive into greenery today. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're comfortable, I figured mm -hmm. what we'll do is instead of giving, you know, an overview of it, uh, we can kind of let you share your screen and we can give, you know, ask some questions as you demo it and give a solid presentation that way. So the audience can have a visual as well. Okay. Certainly. Yeah. So awesome. let me put that up for you. Yeah, so um, this is still um, pre-beta software. Um, so it's an early look, everybody. <laughs> I like it. Early look. Um, and so essentially what this is, this is a, um, a self-custody cryptocurrency wallet with accounting functionality. And the problem that we're solving is that um, right now in the cryptocurrency world, right now um, in a cryptocurrency world, yes, there are some platforms that um, that do track your transactions, um, whether it be from a wallet or from an exchange or you manually input it, but um, they're not wallets. And there are wallets such as MetaMask, such as Exodus, um, and whatever else that allow you to control your cryptocurrency, but they don't offer the accounting functionality or accounting principles that you would expect in a QuickBooks or whatever else. And so our solution is to take the best of both worlds and put it together into this package. Because our thesis is that, well, if we're saying that cryptocurrency is going to be a currency and it's going to, we're going to denominate goods and services in cryptocurrency, then therefore you need uh, a platform to account for the transaction. So, you know, if you're selling, uh, if you're selling sneakers or, you know, chairs, you know, if you sell five chairs or five pairs of shoes, 
you know, you don't really need to keep much records for that, you know, if you don't want to. But if you're selling 50, 500, you need to keep um, records for that. You need to keep track of vendors. You need to keep track of um, of how much each unit costs and how much you're selling it for. Um, and that's where the whole accounting component comes into play. Um, and that's what we want to get ahead of. Um, the other part is that, you know, even in regards to NFTs, and I know you don't want to go too much into that, but if you really think about it, NFTs, are that's inventory, you know, and if you sell, you know, 10, 20, 50 um, NFTs, how are you tracking that? You know? Um, and so that's where this um, this platform is trying to well will fill fulfill um, the need or fill that gap in a sense. And so just looking right here, um, this is what you see when you open up the application. Um, this is live, by the way. Um, I'm not rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is essentially this is your portfolio it shows you your dashboard um, it shows you what the values from your dashboard um this right here these are different um indexes right and we're still adding and tweaking this a bit um and so basically it's showing you a composite think of it like the fang index in a sense um this is the dashboard um, so yeah, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Tezos. Um, so for those listening, Corey, essentially, right, the main thing is their dashboard where they're going to connect in and, and they can sync their wallets from the different cryptocurrencies. And then you have the nice asset overview tab as well. Um, that's showing the breakdown of all the assets that they've imported. Right. And then the rest is where they can kind of facilitate the business activities once they have their wallets and their assets into the platform. Is that correct? So this this right here is um, you can generate new addresses here and you mm -hmm. can import addresses as well from other platforms and control it. Um, and so in regards to seeing the activity and I'll get to that. Shortly, we're still building. We're still building that out, yep. um, actually. So right here, this is this is a wallet. You can you know send currency from it. Um, so you can send to a regular cryptocurrency address. You can also send to an Ethereum um, ENS address. And so ENS um, or human readable address, essentially what that is is think of it as DNS, um, but for cryptocurrency. So what it's doing is that you're using a human readable address, like think of google.com, and it's resolving the IP address. So uh, was well, resolving the, the wallet address. So in the case of google.com, um, the IP address for Google is 8.8.8.8, right? Um, in regards to cryptocurrency address, you know, this is yes. the cryptocurrency yeah. address. And so an easier way to get to that address is type in corydesire.eth. And why is this, this is so, this is important because a lot of people won't 
um, admit to it, but um, a lot of people have sent cryptocurrency to the wrong address. Yes. <laughs> the problem. I've done okay. that on Venmo. <laughs> yeah. So it happens. Um, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to reduce the likelihood of errors um, with the various functions in our platform. We also support um, unstoppable domains, which is um, another human readable address platform, but they do it in the form of NFTs. Um, so if I type in that wallet, it does the resolution here for unstoppable domains. And then for Tezos, we have um, Tezos domains. And it, this service takes a little bit more time, but there it goes. And so resolve the address. This wallet right here is staked, so the, the value keeps going up. And so, so a question I had gotten before was, well, how um, well could you just do something like a coin tracker and just put the um, the value, what you think, the value of your holdings into the wallet, and just track the track the track the the gain and loss from there. And even though that would be okay or whatever, um, the problem with that is in regards to currencies that are staked, proof of stake networks where you, you're staking your currency and as a reward for removing currency from circulation, the network rewards you with more currency to further incentivize you from not spending your currency and locking it up the value keeps growing, right? And you need to be able to query the address to constantly get the value of your holdings. And so that's something that um, was important for us in regards to making this not just a tracker, but actually a wallet where it has the full functionality of being able to generate addresses, send currency, and even in the future to stake that currency inside the wallet as well. Very cool. And that makes complete sense for right? So eventually, right, with <laughs> being that, this is like a standalone bank for businesses, right? So, and I think I want to push a lot of people to think outside of the U.S. I know a lot of our listeners will be here in the U.S., right? But again, the U.S. has one of the most mature infrastructures, period, you know, across the globe, especially when it comes to banking, when it comes to being able to form an LLC, right, for $400 within a week and be doing business as whatever name you want to be very quickly, right, and form mm -hmm. it with partners. It's There's a lot more friction in that process and a lot more restrictions, right, in other countries outside of the U.S. Um, so such a solution like this can allow someone to spin up their own business, Right, be able to send invoices, be able to complete payroll, be able to maintain all of their assets without ever having to go the traditional approach of you know creating a formal LLC or going to the bank and having to set up a business bank account and get checks and wait a month right to get access to send wires, etc. This will let them complete all of those financial operations and business functions within one solution, while also allowing them to, you know. Uh, entertain or look into alternative 
uh, capital like deployment models, right? Whether it's staking, which is much like, you know, putting money into a CD, right? With a bank, for those that aren't too aware, you're determining to lock up X amount of value uh, for X amount of time sometimes, right? And the longer you leave it in there, they're, they're incentivizing you with what we could call interest or dividends, right? For leaving that money available for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just such an impressive tool I think a lot of people, you know, will come watch this video and then they'll do some research and digging to really understand, you know, how fast this space is growing and what it can have for their business. But I love what you're doing in the space core. I think, you know, there's so many, you know, disenfranchised businesses or individuals that would love to start a business, but don't have great access to capital, right? In the traditional sense. Uh, and a tool like this is going to let them save years, you know, of trying to go through an approach that has a lot of restrictions or, or barriers, you know, for them in particular. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly, you know, what I saw <clears throat> in regards to um, building out this pro- this um, this platform with my partners and I, um, you know, outside of the U.S. in regards to um, access and capital. I mean, well, just in general, our financial system globally is very siloed. Yes. Um, you know, just like with our, so our, our layer twos in the fiat world, like Venmo and PayPal and Cash App, I consider those like layer two solutions, right? Um, those are siloed. You know, if you wanted to send someone um, money over Venmo, and they're in India, it's not going to happen, you know? Um, you know, if you wanted to send someone money in, over um, in Cash App to someone in um, in Italy, it's not happening. Uh, and PayPal is very, PayPal kind of works here, kind of works there. It's not really consistent across the board. Western Union is not an option. <laughs> Yes, you know it just doesn't really work that well, um, and there are some other players here and there, but generally speaking, none of them have really um, overcome the hurdles that fiat still has in regards to bridging the gap of financial transactions across jurisdictions. It just they just haven't Correct. done it. Cryptocurrency does this. Seamlessly and within a minute. I mean, I could send you Dogecoin, you know, in two seconds, literally, you know, takes two seconds to go from one wallet to the next. And so in a platform like this, um, you know, if if you are someone in Nigeria, for instance, and you set up a DAO, you know, and you're or you just have a business and you're selling goods, um, and you want to be ex- you want to be able to accept U.S. dollars, for instance, right? Um, Nigeria uses the naira, and their banking system is actually pretty good. But the issue is that their their currency is facing inflation, and so holding on to naira is not is not secure essentially and being able to accept us dollars i mean that would be huge for any business person in africa or the or the caribbean or south america but how can you accept us dollars if you can't get venmo or cash app or whatever else well you can use 
greenery and accept USDC or Tether, USDT or GUSD. And these are stable coins pegged to the US dollar. So now you effectively have US dollars in your possession. And you couldn't, you could not do that with a QuickBooks. You download QuickBooks and that's it. <laughs> you know? Exactly. No, I think it's huge. I think a lot of people don't understand, like you said, they're siloed right companies because they're still all centralized because they're still mm -hmm. dependent on the banking relationships that they can form, right? That provide them the liquidity to enable those exchanges. And then at the same time, right, they have to answer to the SEC and they have to be tracked on those transactions. And that's where those silos become. And I think, again, that's just the emphasis of the point we're trying to make where blockchain really incentivizes uh, the decentralizations of infrastructures, banking being the one that's being targeted the most. And with that, it just democratizes the access right to information in this particular instance, that information is digital currency. Right. In others, it can be for the supply chain In others, it could be authenticity of an asset like shoes or art. Um, but that's really where everything's going. And even here in the US, again, we have such a strong system. A lot of companies may not be seeing where these pitfalls are in their business just yet. Um, but as more and more people get access to the internet, right, we're trying to access global countries and partners, et cetera. Um, having tools just like Greenery, Corey, you know, are gonna be a fundamental asset where a lot of US companies are gonna find the companies they are working for, right, asking them to use a tool like this, even though they prioritize the dollar. Right. And, and that's kind of going to be where the shift comes from. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm just very excited to see that. Very excited you know, to have you on and appreciate you taking the time to give us the insight into your platform. And we're definitely going to have to follow up with you once you guys launch and um, have you on for a longer demo and dive into some product updates. Mm -hmm. um, but before we kind of come to an end here, Corey, I'd love to you know, ask all of our guests you know, a few questions um, to help our audience understand their mindset on technology. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and kind of create a new lens, you know, for people that are listening today on, on that they could maybe apply to their business or just at how they look at the world as a whole. Um, so, you know, working on such an innovative project, I know technologies, you know, instilled deeply into to your life and your day to day activities. I'm curious, you know, how would you describe what technology or you know digital transformation means to you uh, and how would you communicate that to somebody else? Technology, I believe, is is meant to lower the barrier of access um, to people or to lessen the burden of work for people. Um, and so I'll give an example. Um, farmers, they would first, you know, before they had, you know, metal tools, they would manually till the soil, right? And of course, you can only exert a, an X amount of energy and X amount of time to do that per day, right? But with the hoe and with, you know, pickaxe or other uh, metal tools, you're able to till a whole acre of land, if you will, um, probably within a day especially if you had um, uh, people to assist you. Then when you attach that to a horse or oxen, right, then you're able to till 
you know, four acres of land in a day, you know, whereas you can only do it, do one acre. Um, and then, of course, we have John Deere. <laughs> well, so technology is technology should um, relieve the burden of manual labor off of people and give us more uh, or free up our time to do things that we love to do or need to do or to just spend more quality time uh, with our loved ones. And that's one side of technology. The other side of technology is to really augment our creativity and our innovation and our ideas and really take our, um, our deep desires in terms of what the world could be and really bridge it to the real world. You know, um, I mean, I, I remember writing down, I have the document, a little text document of what greenery was. Gain and loss calculator, blah, 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 blah. Remember the document. And the technology that I was able to harness, I was able to use Electron and Vue.js and this and that or whatever else. And I was able to use these, these technology, the open source technology to bring this product to life. And so had I, you know, had things not been open source, I mean, listen, <laughs> we probably would not be here. You know, the the barrier to entry would be through the roof. So technology on one end is supposed to make things easier for people to do to accomplish their goals within a shorter period of time with less energy output. And then the other part of technology is to take ideas from just abstract, you know, firings of your neurons to physical products or you know digital products that people can actually just use and make their life better. So that's how I believe that's what I believe technology is. That's awesome. No, and I completely agree with you, Corey. I love to tell people, you know, that technology is just the vehicle, right? To mm -hmm. democratize access and decrease barriers or enhance experiences, which all come from really empowering us humans, right, to drive our creativity. Right, the things that make humans unique, right, is our perspectives, the ways that we can create associations. And it's not, you know, being able to enter data all day long, right? You don't hire a sales guy to update a CRM, you hire to close deals, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I love the angle that you put on that, especially the two sides of the coin. Um, and then we'll ask you one more final question here. Uh, might be a little biased on your end, knowing everything we just discussed today, but what technology advancement uh, do you think will have the largest impact over the next three to five years? DeFi. <clears throat> and I'll tell you why. Um, so typically, when we think of loans, right? When we think of loans, loans typically fall into four categories. Um, vehicles, real estate, education, and business, right? I mean, people take out personal loans or whatever else, but like those are the four main categories, right? In regards to DeFi, people are taking out loans to take advantage of market opportunities, right? So you see an opportunity for arbitrage on this exchange, you take out a loan, you put up collateral, whatever else, you take advantage of that, that opportunity, you pay back the loan, everything is 
good, right? But the problem in the real world is that loans are not equally distributed. It takes time to access loans. It takes paperwork. It takes, it's just difficult, right? Um, especially if you come from a disadvantaged community or the, in, the, the financial infrastructure in your country is not as robust as, it, as you would want it to be. And so loans um, could be cumbersome to come about. What I believe is that DeFi will start to spill over into the real world where you will see people issuing loans uh, for someone in uh, Kenya to get a motorcycle. So, hey, you know, you put up, you put up your collateral of, you know, whatever, um, whatever equivalent of, um, of shillings, right? And we will issue you uh, Ethereum or USDC, and then you could purchase your motorcycle and you pay us back and then you're free and clear to go within, you know, and you do this within 12 months, right? Um, I can see that happening. I can see someone issuing um, a loan for a home in, you know, Ghana. You know, Ghana has a booming uh, real estate market. You know, someone would want to put up a loan or issue a loan. You know, hey, we could, if you put up X amount of collateral in, in Ghanaian cities, I will give you access to, you know, X amount of Ethereum, you know, um, or education. Someone may want to go for, um, you know, the Security Plus, the Linux Plus, and the Network Plus, all CompTIA certifications, right? But that costs around $1,000 um, just a certification. So, hey, what if you were to put up some kind of uh, collateral and I'll pay for your certifications, the loan, and you give us a, you pay us back with a rate of, you know, 5% or whatever, right? So that's how I see, that's what I see in the next five years. I think as the NFT market has kind of cooled down just a little bit, right? I think the use cases of DeFi um, in the real world will start to spill over. Um, and I believe with a platform like what we're creating can help track that. You know, if you're issuing loans for someone to, um, you know, if you're issuing multiple loans, whether it be on Aave or Celsius or whatever other platforms that are out there, um, you need to be able to, uh, you need to be able to track your, who owes you money, you know, and how long the, the, the term of the loan is and the, you know, whatever other stipulations around the loan there is, you know? So, yeah, I believe that, I believe DeFi will eventually eat the world. <laughs> That's perfect. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, DeFi is a deeper topic also. So for anybody looking into it, it just stands for decentralized finance, uh, leveraging blockchains and cryptocurrencies to replace 
a lot of the mechanisms uh, that banks offer us today outside of you know being able to be a store of value, which is Bitcoin's utility. Um, but Corey, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I think this was one of our deepest topics, if not one of the most interesting that will really get a lot of our listeners thinking from a whole new perspective on, you know, really what the future holds for their business, all these new modern technologies, and hopefully we gave them some insight into the valuable ways that they can apply them. Uh, so I just want to thank you again, Corey, for coming on. As we know, uh, everybody, you're, Corey's comfortable with you reaching out to him. His LinkedIn uh, and other socials will be in the description below. And correct me if I'm wrong, Corey, but for everybody to find greenery, they can go to greenfire.io mm -hmm. uh, and find greenery on your homepage of your website. Or, of course, reach out to Corey through LinkedIn and yeah. he may be able to get you on to the early beta testing. Um, yeah. Yeah. But thank you again so much, Corey, for coming on. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap up? Um, I would like to say thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, I would love to come on again. Um, and everyone just have a great time. The weather's, the weather's getting nice. Go outside, get some exercise, soak in the sun. There we go. That's perfect. We appreciate your time again, Corey. We'll definitely have you on in the future. And goodbye for now, everybody. Have a great day. All right, then. Bye-bye.